thanks for having me. This, uh, this is a slightly different way to how I usually sort of speak in church. It's more slides than anything else. And if you get bored, just get to sleep, okay? I don't mind. <laughs> All right. I hope you find it inspiring. I know I, I've been hooked um, since the Lord led me to look into the history of the church that my mum and dad really started at. I've just been hooked. And I hope you are. By the time I've finished, you'll either be hooked or bored to tears. One of the two. All right, the first slide. Now, I'm just going to indicate when the next one is. And there are a lot of slides, I can tell you that. I thought I'd base it on the journey from Acts 2 to Junction 10. So we put it into context for you. And we start really with a text on slide 2. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody prays to God, and everybody talks to Jesus, but when they talk of the Holy Spirit, I think people think the Holy Spirit. I don't think they really give any meaning to it. I think they just gloss over it almost. Well, Junction 10, you are a Pentecostal church. Slide 3. You are an Assemblies of God church. Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, after Easter, you know where that comes from. We've got uh, core beliefs, the same as evangelical churches, But we should be really aware of Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues and this, as the Spirit enabled them. And as an Assemblies of God church, we still believe that. We still believe that. But you know, it wasn't a popular belief at the beginning of the 20th century. People had thought that miracles had died out. Slide 7 here. In Gornal, the Reverend Cook thought it was emotionalism. When Jeff was leading a Scripture Union uh, things in the 60s, missions with the children, he had to promise not to mention Pentecostal things. When I was at college, Andre, my lecturer said, I feel really sorry for you, Jan, if you believe that. And he was really condescending. Yeah? And that was the 70s. This is my life. You know, the promise was there in the New Testament, slide 8. I'm going to send you what my father has promised But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. From the Old Testament, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Slide 9. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. And you know, God did just as he promised. He did it, but he didn't put a time restriction on it. He didn't say, here you are, disciples. That's the Holy Spirit. End of story. The teaching of the Holy Spirit, believe it or not, after the disciples had had that, you know, 3,000 added to the church and so on and so on, and we think it was almighty. Do you know, within a generation or two, there was a group of people called the Montanists, slide 10, and they began to revive the idea of the Holy Spirit. Within a couple of generations, that power was beginning to be lost if not totally lost floundering in the middle ages but the idea of the trinity was kept alive the next little bit 
Moving on quickly, I told you this was a bit quick and a bit sort of history and a bit whatever. But you had the American revivalism, didn't you, with the Great Awakening, with Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, with Charles Finney and D.L. Moody. God was doing a thing there in America. He was waking people up. Oh, and I love this. I just love this. Slide 12. Look at William Seymour. He had one eye. He was the son of slaves. Both parents were slaves in Louisiana. His mother, his mother's owner, listed his estate as 112 slaves, 80 horses, 40 mules. And so William Seymour's mum and dad were listed there in his goods and chattels. But you know the foolish things of this world God uses. William Seymour had a call on his life. He felt God wanted him to study. And so he went to Topeka, Kansas, to Charles Parnham's college to study. But you know what? This is slide 13. He had to listen from the corridor because he wasn't allowed in because he was black. A call of God on his life. But he had to suffer that ignominy of standing in the corridor. But, you know, although the principal made him do that, the principal did recognise that there was a call on his life. And he sent him to Los Angeles to a little church there. I think, it, I think the pastor was a, a lady. But when she heard that, she, that William Seymour believed in the Holy Spirit as a, an extra... Uh, I'll use thing for a moment. An extra thing to salvation. She banned him. And so, well... Call of God in his life, study in the corridor, chucked out of the first church he sent to, but he met with a group of people. Slide 14. In Bonnie Bray Street, in that bungalow there, the crowds began to gather, so much so that that sort of decking outside collapsed, I'm led to believe. And so many people were attracted to what was going on. And on April the 9th, 1906, William Seymour prayed for Edward Lee, and Edward Lee started to speak in tongues. Now, believe it or not, William Seymour wasn't actually baptised himself at that point, but he believed it to be the right thing. But he prayed for, and Edward Lee was filled with the Holy Spirit. Just an aside here, the early Pentecostals, remember, had no textbooks about the Holy Spirit. They had no sort of written theology and they thought that speaking in tongues was your immediate ticket to be a missionary and so once you spoke in tongues they got you sent off and I'm afraid that ended in a lot of disaster you can imagine because when you got there God didn't give you that gift of language for that purpose and so there was a lot of learning process going on here but Bonnie Brown Street was quite a a noted place in the, in the area as people gathered because as Edward Lee was filled with the Holy Spirit, some more and more were filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, they had to move out of that little bungalow and they bought this place, Azusa Street, Los Angeles. Look at it. Now, if I tell you, the bottom floor of that was where they kept the horses. So there was manure, there was all that muck they had to clear up. It stank, Yeah. I'm led to believe that William Seymour preached from like an upturned crate. That was his seat 
You know, nothing splendid, nothing hierarchical, nothing posh, no great meetings, no great advertising, but that place, to use a modern term, rocked. That place really shifted Los Angeles, and not just in the town, nationally, globally, internationally. So much so, it amazes me in the turn of the century that news spread so fast, but it did. Let's move to Norway. Now, in Norway, there was a guy called T.B. Barrett. He was a Cornish fellow, actually. But he went there, and he was in the Methodist ministry. Quite an intelligent fellow. He studied with Grieg. You know the musician? You know, morning? Da, 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 da. Yeah, he studied with him. And T.B. Barrett needed to raise funds for his Methodist church. So he went over to America, to New York, to get some money. Totally failed in raising any money. But while he was in New York, he heard about Azusa Street Revival. He heard about the Holy Spirit. And he thought, if this is it, then I need this experience. I need the Holy Spirit to fill me. And in his hotel room in New York, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Went back to Christiania, Christiana, now Oslo, and his church exploded because God used him. The Holy Spirit flowed through him, through his church, Miracles, salvations, amazing. Do you know, in England, the idea of the Holy Spirit was, as I said, a word in the prayers. But there was one guy in Sunderland, Monks Wearworth, a little village near Sunderland, an Anglican vicar, A.A. Body. And he heard about the Holy Spirit. He'd had a great desire since the Welsh Revival. He'd heard about that in 1904. And he thought, there's more to God than I really have experienced. I love God. He was soundly saved. He knew his scriptures. There's more to God than I have ever known. And so, to cut a long story short, he went to Norway because it was easier than going to America. And he spoke with um, T.B. Barrett and invited him over to Sunderland. And there in Monks... Weirworth, I find that hard to say, Monks Weirworth, in that church, AA Body, invited people to hear T.B. Barrett. So many people were filled with the Holy Spirit. So many healings. AA Body's wife, actually, was filled before he was, and she prayed for people, and they were healed. It was amazing how God uses people that you don't think God's going to use. You think it's always the leaders. Don't kid yourself. Everybody in church is equal. Everybody in church has a role. What are you doing? What have you done with the Holy Spirit? A.A. Body, as I said, was an Anglican minister. A well-educated Anglican minister. But he could see, once the Holy Spirit was filling with people... The theology around the Holy Spirit was a little bit sort of here, there, and everywhere. And come on, those of us who have been in Pentecost for years, we know of places where it, it, it's more like a circus than a church. And he needed, in his mind, to get some order and to get things down on paper that people could follow. And so he inaugurated a magazine called Confidence to rationalise the teaching on Pentecostal matters. He had a conference every year and people had to sign before they went to that conference that the person at the front had the final word. 
It wasn't because he was over, you know, possessive of his meeting. He wanted the power of God and not the silliness that could go with it. So God led the services, but there was certainly order. He spoke of blessings so much. This is 18, slide 18. Spoke of the blessings many had received in connection with the movement and said that his little daughters, two dear little children, had been blessed with the Spirit. You know, coming from a teaching background, sometimes that's hard to accept that children can be moved by God in a, a real way. We've seen children moved. I was saved as a child and how God can speak to you. I know that. But these days, we protect children so much. And I'm not saying children should go out from a service, should stay in from a service. That's up to you. But do we forget that God can use children? He filled his dear little children, he says, and they'd been blessed with the Holy Spirit. I put this in for you here, Judith, right? Slide 19 and 20, in confidence, the magazine, it says this. Brother Guest tells us, while waiting in prayer in the Holy, Go the Holy Ghost cave, four of the young people fell to the ground, all praying together. One of the brethren came through in his own garden. The power fell and he started to speak in tongues. There were two or three hundred people in the street. They started shouting while the meeting was going on. It is the talk for miles around. The people are mad. They're shouting out at us as we go home. But praise the Lord. We've not retaliated. Last sentence. Pray for the people in Smedic. Next, there's a letter from Percy Griffin, who was... Was it your pastor, Judith? Right, Percy Griffin in 1950 wrote this, this letter to... Um, it was Redemption Tidings, it's now re-online, yeah? Wrote this letter. If we go to the next one, it'll give you the words I want to, you to see. The brother referred to here was my father-in-law, who told the story of how his neighbours sent for the ambulance and the police officer to take him to the asylum. The police officer with chair in hand, I can imagine this, approached to within three feet of them, saying, sit down, sit down. But he started speaking again, so the policeman, dropping the chair, made good his escape. That's in Smedic. Yeah? Smedic, 1908. Smedic, 1908. Remember that scripture from the Old Testament? Joel 2, I will pour my spirit. Out. It was happening there in Smedic in 1902. It was happening there and then. To those meetings in Smedic visited two other Christian brothers. They were born in Aston. This is slide 25. And is there another bit of the picture? There we are. In the middle there, that's an older picture. You've got Howard and John Carter. Now, for people who are quite new to Pentecost, you probably don't know them, but they were mighty in really the, getting the assembly into a, some sort of sense of order. But they first experienced Pentecost in those Smedic meetings. They were taken to those meetings, and they were just, as I said, hooked. This is what they'd been looking for all their life. Howard, the one with the beard, he led the Bible school, Hampstead Bible School, who I think I'm led to believe our dad went down to once, but because of the war, 
couldn't follow on through with what he wanted to do. And so that was two men there. It all happened in our area, yeah, from Aston. Something else that happened in Aston that wasn't connected with Howard and John Carter, if we look at the next slide, slide 25, on the top of that shop there, Assemblies of God came into being. That's in Aston, 14 Whitehead Street. Those photographs were taken by Brian Atkins, father of Matthew Atkins, who leads the region now, three years before they were demolished. They met there and they agreed that we would have Assemblies of God, Great Britain. That really was triggered because out in Wales, there were lots of little Welsh assemblies and they wanted some coordination and they were about to join the American Assemblies of God and the leaders in England didn't think that was right so they started owning Great Britain. But that's in Aston, that is now demolished. So, but on the top of that, those two windows at the top and the one you can't see very clearly is inside that room, there in Aston. So as a denomination, AOG was started. Another reason for it was because it gave credence to conscientious objectors. Because, remember Howard Carter I mentioned with a beard? Yes. He suffered greatly in Wormwood Scrubs because he was a very sensitive, artistic man and he really struggled going to prison for his beliefs. Donald G., another mighty man in Assemblies of God, he too really struggled working on a farm because he wouldn't go to fight. And because Assemblies of God was not a recognised denomination, although they were ministers, the government did not recognise them as such, so they didn't give them exemption. Moving on now from that beginning, Wolverhampton, I reckon, was the first Assemblies of God church in the area. Started 1929 by John Carter and another worker from the Bible school who became his wife. So that was the first registered church there. Complete change of scene now. Meanwhile, in Wales, you'd had the Welsh revival. And from that Welsh revival, you'd got what they call children of the revival. In Mysteg, this is uh, 27. In Mysteg, there was a family called the Jeffreys. And you can see Stephen there and his son, Edward, and there should be another one, George. Okay, those three men. A lot of people get them mixed up. Those were brothers, George and Stephen. Edward was the son of Stephen. They were saved in the Welsh Revival. Didn't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Until Edward, remember we talked about children? Edward went to a meeting where the Holy Spirit was being taught. Came back home, he was about 10 or 11, Jack. He's only about your age. Came back home and said, Dad, the Holy Spirit, you've, you've got to experience it. And within a couple of months, both George and Stephen were mightily filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll see what happened. The next one, George Jeffries started Elim. You've heard of the Elim churches? This was only 1914, so look how quickly this has progressed. 1906, Azusa Street. 1914, you've got Elim started in Ireland. George Jeffries, no one special other than God raised him up. Who got saved in a George Jeffries campaign? 
Gerald Chamberlain, Olive Reeve, anyone know Olive Reeve from Hockley? Yes? The people that were at Gornal the other Sunday, her nephew was in that meeting, David Reeve. Yes? How the time's gone on? 100 years plus? Yes? God moves generation from generation. There were 10,000 converts recorded in the Birmingham Crusade that George led in 1913. There were 1,000 baptised. There were 1,000 healed. That was George. If we move to the next one. This is Stephen. Now it goes that Stephen was one of the most chaotic blokes you can imagine and apparently would book up double and he'd not turn up so he never started a movement because I just don't think he'd got it in him. But he was a mighty preacher. He was an amazing evangelist. Never held any uh, evangelistic certificate with Assemblies of God, but a lot of our churches grew because of his ministry. He had a mighty evangelical ministry. The next one, he's, oh, just to lead on, he was leading a crusade in Bristol. And he got this friend of his son's to become the pastor to take the church on. And this friend dropped out. So as fathers do, he said to his son, well, you do it. And Edward nearly had a fit. Because Edward had been to crusades with his dad. He'd done some singing in the meetings. But never had he sort of thought of taking on the, the colossal preaching engagements that his dad had. And he thought, oh... And he was astounded because the first night he preached, 250 people got saved. I'll say that again. The first night he preached, 250 people got saved. Yes, that is amazing, is it not? God confirmed it right from the beginning. And from that moment, he felt the call of God on his life so strong that he started crusades. And from Bristol, he steadily moved up a place called Fish Ponds near Bristol, a mighty crusade in Worcester, and he arrived in February 1930 in Warsaw. And here in Warsaw, slide 31, you had quarter of a mile queues around the town hall here in Warsaw. There you go. That was your town, 1930. Now I have to add this because I'm a if I say I'm a critical sort of person, I like to know why and how. Remember, it was the Depression. And here was a place of hope. You hadn't got the National Health Service set up properly. You hadn't got jobs. In fact, you'd probably got nothing. And God turned up with the Jeffreys family just at the right time. And you had queues like this around Warsaw. Um, if we look at the next one, this in the Warsaw Times, you had that, that uh, report. Wonderful miracles have taken place at the pastor's campaign. The blind see. This is the paper reporting. This is not a Christian uh, periodical. This is the paper. Of t uh, blind see, deaf hear, lame walk, sticks, crutches, invalid chairs have been discarded in the precious name of Jesus. If you can see the next slide, there you see them carrying. Remember the old calipers, us old ones? Yes, remember those old contraptions that 
youngsters had to wear. They're being carried there. There's Edward Jeffries. They look like trumpets and that, but those are all the crutches and whatever they're carrying. This was Warsaw. You don't take those calipers off and walk out if you're not healed, do you? You just don't. You just don't. As a direct result of that crusade, you had Bath Street Church. Bath Street, the minister of Bath Street, Matthew Francis, was the superintendent of Edward Jeffrey's campaigns round here. He was a leading figure, wrote books. In fact, those photographs were from a book that he uh, wrote. And so he moved on from Warsaw. He moved to Dudley. There's Dudley Town Hall. Kew's outside. If we look at the next slide. Kew's down the other side. And I love this. Edward Jeffries, when he knew people were ill, he couldn't stand the thought of them queuing for such a long time. He'd start to queue around the other side. No, if you like, come in, we'll help you. Come in this side. Come in quick. Are we sensitive to people's needs? Or do we put on that performance and think, well, that can sit there. Come to the front. You've got to sit here. And you... you know, he was sensitive to what people needed. West Bromwich Town Hall. Queue's the same. My aunt and her oldest daughter saw that queue and went in. There were already Baptist Christians, but Aunt Liz and her husband, oh, that Aunt Liz went home and her, her husband said, where have you been? And she says, we've just been to an amazing meeting. And he said, well, if possible, I'll go with you the next time. And they were really um, motivated the pastor eventually of West Brom to start Cosley Assembly because they wanted our family and the Jevons family to know Pentecost in Cosley. Yeah? How it passes on, how it passes on, are you passing it on? Here's just a list of some of the assemblies that were Wensbury, West Brom. West Brom had five branch churches. Marsh Lane, you know about, became independent. Great Bridge lasted till about the mid-60s. Cosley, probably about the 80s it was. And Pensnet. And for one or two in the congregation, some of you will get bored with this, but forgive me. Pensnet, you had Cyril Baker, Sam Wharton. Do you know, you know Helen Spicer? Her, her dad, Sam Wharton, my dad, and Joe Longville, Peter Longville. Anybody from Dudley area? Those four met in Pensnet after a crusade and before and prayed. Now, of those four, Cyril Baker in the ministry, my dad, the family, yeah, Sam Wharton, Helen, and you had Peter Longville, who ministered in Dudley for quite a long time. These people were real. These weren't flashing the pan. This, this was real. Those assemblies, you've got Dudley, you've got Albury, didn't come into AOG, but Albury's still there, it's healing now. Amblecote started right at the beginning there. Blockswitch wasn't actually from the Crusades. Am I all right for time? Yeah, sure. Blockswitch uh, didn't come in through that Crusade, but there was when Stephen Jeffries was preaching in Derbyshire, there was a guy laid flat in a car um, outside. He couldn't get in. His, his relative went in. He was so poorly and so poor, he sold his clothes because he couldn't walk, right? He heard 
that there was a mighty meeting going on. He couldn't hear the words, but he was healed that night. Someone had to lend him clothes. He started the Blockswitch Church, Pastor Wright. Yeah, that man. These, mo- these miracles aren't just fiction. We followed on a block switch. We knew of Pastor Wright. Uh, who's ever been on an Alpha Away day? Quite a few of you. Right. Edward Jeffries knew the importance of meeting together, consolidating what was going on. We ministered in Kinver for about 13 years. One summer, there was one of the church's events. Phil Miles came down and Gemma came down. And the town probably had, would you say, a thousand, Jeff? A thousand people around there? Well, Edward Jeffries decided to have, like, an away day. A mini sort of crusade. Let's get together. Let's get the choirs in, in Kinva. Can we have the advert, please? Great divine healing pilgrimage to Kinva. How many do you reckon he got? Can you show them the marquee picture next one? That marquee is in Kinva. 6,000 passed through that village that weekend. I spoke to a lady called Violet Parks who attended those meetings. And she, as a, a teenager, she was mesmerized by the speaker. She saw a farmer's uh, foot healed. I spoke to that lady. She saw it. How amazing is God? When I saw those pictures of Kinver, I just couldn't believe it. It just bowled me over. Right, so your church here. Where did you come? Let's have the next one. A few people came from Dudley. They moved to Bornell under Caleb Beardsmore. God blessed. Then, Gerald Chamberlain and G.J. Williamson inspired the congregations. God blessed. The rest is history. John and Judy came here. You can trace it back. By the way, Kayleigh Beardsmore is Maurice White's uncle. Yeah? So the connections, one generation passes to another. That's your beginning. The Alpha Away Day in Kimber, amazing. How you've come here, amazing. Here's your adverts. Some of the next one, please. There's some of the adverts that went out for Junction 10 starting. Great Pioneer Crusade sponsored by the Midlands West DC at Allenwell Lower School. That was March 1978. Andre and Joy will remember all of those. Yeah. G.J. Williamson had a burden for Warsaw, didn't he? Because he used to pastor here in the 1950s. Yeah. If we look at 43, there's your Allenwell School. That's where you moved to. I think that's Judy on the piano there. I think that's probably John leaning. I don't know whether you can see yourselves there. <laughs> you know, God was still moving. And you know, as a district, we saw quite a, quite a move in the 70s. Look at the next one. We had Kings Winford Summer Street start. We had Junction 10 start. Sedgley start, we started Wombourne, Kings Winford started. That's quite a lot of churches in that time, quite a lot. God was still moving. But all those connections came from the original Christians from the 1930s Crusades. They all came from that. Do you know God works with us in evangelism in an infinite number of ways? 
the Azusa Street revival, a slave, a slave son, was set on fire. Look what happened. The Welsh revival, the Jeffreys were saved. The Jeffreys family obeyed God. Look what happened. Are we looking for good preachers? You know, are we looking to be moved of God? Let me throw a spanner in the works. Maybe you feel too old for this. In 1949, Peggy and Christine Smith, 82 and 84, were burdened. That's an old-fashioned word. They were passionate. They couldn't escape the need to pray for their town, Lewis in the Hebrides. And they felt that Donald Campbell should be the speaker. They rang him up. And if they rang him up, wrote a letter, I don't know. They certainly did an email. Whatever they did, and he said, sorry, I'm booked up for that time. And they said, okay, but book it anyway. Amazingly, he had a cancellation, and he turned up. The church was filled. No advertising. Some folk arrived by boat from other islands. The services went on till 3 a.m. in the morning. A good preacher, you might say. Listen to Donald Campbell's words. When I speak of revival, I'm not thinking of high-pressure evangelism. I'm not thinking about my preaching. It's God. And if you bear with me, I'll just read this. Just as I'm walking down the aisle alongside this young deacon, he said, God, you can't fail us. God, you can't fail us. You promised to pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. You can't fail us. Soon the young man was on his knees in the island. He's still praying. Just then the door opened. It was now 11 o'clock. Right, most of us would say, time to go. I've got this to do tomorrow. It's 11 o'clock. The door of the church opens and the local blacksmith comes back into the church and says, Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has happened. We were praying that God would pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. He's done it. He's done it. When I went to the door of the church, I saw a congregation of about 600 people. 600 people. Where had they come from? What had happened? I believe that that very night, God sent in Pentecostal Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit fire power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happened in those early days of the apostles was happening here in the Hebrides. Over 100 young people were at a dance in the parish hall. They weren't thinking of God or eternity. God was not in all of their thoughts. They were there to have a good time, a good night. And suddenly in the dance hall, the power of God fell. The music ceased. In a matter of minutes, the hall was empty. They fled from the hall to the church. They were standing outside. Men and women who had gone to bed got up, dressed and made for the church. Nothing in the way of publicity. No mention of a special effort. This was happening because God said so. God took the situation in hand. He became his own publicity agent. A hunger and thirst gripped the people. 600 of them now are in church, are standing outside the church. Donald Campbell said 75% of the people saved were saved before they entered the church, before they heard preaching. Do you know, without a doubt, we need a revival. But in the meantime, that's a revival. In the meantime, we need to make sure that we become more like Jesus, that we read his word, 
that we develop our prayer lives and that we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I don't know how God is going to build this church, this one, Bilston. I don't know, but I know he will.